I don't know if that's the get ready. That's was that the first bell or the second bell? Really? Aren't there two bells? Yeah. One bell says we're getting ready to start, and the other bell says we're <laughs> we're on. <laughs> uh, it is so it is so so good to be here. It always is just um, to be in the presence of uh, God's people, to be in your midst, and to be able to talk about things that. Um, my job's unique in that I get to just contemplate ideas and thoughts from the Word of God all day, every day, and um, shows me constantly how small my brain is. Right? <laughs> Appreciate that, though. It's good to see you here tonight. Let's uh, let's go together to God in prayer, please. Our magnificent, most awesome, holy, and precious God, thank you for this opportunity to study your Word, to think about the depth, Lord God, that you want us to to know and to reveal to others the message that you've revealed. And I pray, Lord God, the message that you revealed to each one of us this day, we've taken it to heart and that you'll bless that message to resonate in our hearts and help us to grow stronger and more complete and to help our faith to increase that we might bring honor and glory to your name. Thank you for Jesus, your great son, who died so willingly on that cruel cross of Calvary we might be saved. Thank you, Lord God, for your mercy and for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, asking you to bless us tonight in our study of your word. It be your will. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 14. Tonight is uh, actually a, um, it's an, as we're beginning to study this, this, this topic, this topic deals with the elephant in the room. <laughs> it's a pretty big elephant. Um, and the elephant in the room is, you know, that's the one we don't want to talk about. And that's a real difficult, tonight is a difficult portion to the main thought of the parable. But not just this parable, parables that have led up to this point and the parables that follow. And we're going to think about the parables that have led up to this point and the parables that follow so we have a greater context so that when we dig into um, the lesson of the man who has two sons, um, we're going to hopefully glean something to help us to be stronger or grow stronger in our faith. So the elephant in the room is, not everybody's going to make it to heaven. Not everyone, we're not all going to make it to heaven. And if I were to ask you to raise your hand, and tell me who you think you are in relationship to Christ today. And are you the one that's going to make it to heaven? Or are you the one that's going to miss heaven? What would you say? So see, this is the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is that God's making it clear that all Israel, they didn't make it to heaven. God makes it clear that the majority will not make it into heaven. Why is that? Is that God's fault? It's because the majority really, you know, what do we say about that? Do we all really take this as seriously as the external appearance is that's there? 
that we take it as seriously as the internal appearance of self. I mean, what's inside of my heart? And this is what really the prodigal, uh, as it's called, this is what this parable is about. It's about, it's about what's inside of our hearts, right? And I don't have to worry about anyone else's heart, and you don't have to worry about anyone else's. Thank you, God, for that one. But I really have to worry about what's inside of my heart, right? So, dying lost, lostness, um, as you want to call it that, lostness, dying lost, um, critical topic. It, it is the, it is the elephant that is in the room. It is the, it is the one thing that the majority says now, when you start talking about this subject, um, you're, you're entering into an unwelcome conversation. Okay? And, and then it's that idea that the world accuses Christians, we accuse ourselves too, of being very judgmental. You're just too judgmental and too critical, right? Why are you taking this so seriously? So Jesus teaches the parables that this is very serious. This is a very, it's a critical, uh, topic that we're going to be talking about in this, in this, cha- or these uh, particular chapters and when we get to the sons. Um, so Luke 14 is where we're going to begin. And, and the, the first thing he starts off with, um, around verse 15 is that there's this marriage feast. And remember the marriage feast when you read Luke 14 and about verse 15? And remember that the parable states that the head, if you will, so let's just say God, invited everyone. He started with his own people and he invited all of them. And do you remember what the response was of his own people? Remember they they didn't have time. They they didn't really um they just they weren't interested. Right? So this banquet was going on and and this beautiful feast was going on, but no one not God's people, God's people just didn't have time and and was it because you know god's people felt like they've done enough or you know whatever the you, that's a whole nother parable and and we'll have to dig into that one at another point um then he then he jumps into chapter 15 and it's all about lostness isn't it chapter 15 is all about being lost it's it's the lost sheep right verses one through seven i think or six the lost sheep he doesn't, he doesn't really put a lot of emphasis on the 99, does he? The emphasis is on the lost one. Now, is the lost one important to God? Yeah, that's, that's the emphatic message is that every individual, um, we are equally important to God. However, there are going to be sheep who are going to be lost. And then the lost coin is, is the next one. As we, look into the parable and we, we grow in it, we're going to see the, the joy in heaven over the one thing that could keep us, God's people, from being lost. Just one thing. Repentance. How much of that do you see? Right? So it's an issue. It's because that causes or, or calls for humility. I want to look at Luke 15 and verse 24. I'm sorry, I said 14, but I want to jump all the way over to 15. You can grab that on your, on your own, chapter 14. But listen to what the Father says. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 24. The Father says, for this son of mine was alive. Is that what yours says? He was, he was dead. It's all about being dead. This, this child, his soul at that moment in his life, well, should I say when he was living uh, away from his father when he left, he was dead. 
But to him, he was what? In the beginning, when he was having all this fun at the party, he was alive. But really, he was dead. Right? From there, he goes into chapter 16 and verse 13, speaking of the unrighteous um, steward. And he makes this interesting comment. No, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There's a separation. Can't do both. Right? And some Christians still serving mammon and some Christians are serving God. And you have to decide in the parables where you fit in. Right? Where do I fit in? I don't have to worry about everyone else. I only have to worry or concern myself with where I fit in. Tony, where do you fit in? Are you serving mammon and all that it means and all that it entails? Or are you serving God? And I can't answer that for you. And you cannot answer that for me. Because the parable deals with the heart. Right? It's, it's what's in your heart. You know the real answer. Right? I know my real answer. Well, the next part says, okay, now that you know your real answer, what are you going to do with it? So let's say that my real answer is, well, I'm not still serving mammon. Um, so what am I going to do about that? How do I fix that? What's the answer in Luke chapter 15? Repent. No, that's not how I'm going to fix it. The next part is in verse 14. Luke 16, 14. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and they were uh, scoffing at him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. So he says, you know, what you'll do, Tony, is you'll look at this elephant in the room and then you'll justify yourself. Right? I'll find a reason why, well, you know, and I might, I might, um, cast the blame on someone. I'm not as bad as so and so. I'm going to find a way out, but not God's way out. God's way out is repentance. How much of that do we see? How much of that is evident in our hearts? Right? And then he goes further in this, this idea of lostness and in well, chapter 16 and verse 19, we know what that one's all about, right? The rich man and Lazarus. And, and here's what God is telling us. You know, you, you, we cannot forget about the poor and the, the way this man lived his life is, is, um, and I don't know necessarily that it was, um, his riches that destroyed him. It's more so his treatment of the other people, right? The poor man. Uh, in, in his splendor and in his riches. Verse, verse 23. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Uh, so is there, was there mercy for God, from God to this, for this man? Well, God's mercy only goes but so far. That's another elephant in the room. Well, we're saved by grace, and so that all, that's all that matters. Well, yeah, we are saved by grace, but we don't get to determine how much grace God gives us. Right? Grace begins at the cross, and then it goes backwards to Adam and anyone else, and then it goes forward all the way, thank God, through the last man that lives on the earth. But you get to determine how much of that grace you receive. Um, let's look at Second Peter 3 and verse 18. Okay? His grace is abundant. I mean, it's, it's there. You can't out, we, there's no question we can't out-send God's 
grace. But what we've done to justify ourselves is we've said, well, you can't out sin God's grace, therefore I'm going to continue to sin. But I won't, I won't say it in that, in that way. I'll say it in a different way. But on Romans 6, uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound or increase? May it never be, right? No, don't do that. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 18 says, but grow in what? Yeah, grow in grace. So you see, grace begins at the cross, but then God says you can grow in grace. Isn't that beautiful? God has a whole lot of grace, immeasurable amounts of grace, but there's something that we have to do. And that is, he says, I want you to grow, so you've got to do your part, stay faithful and continue to walk the walk of faith, live for Jesus, and watch how much grace has for us all the way to the end, right? But what if we stop growing? What if we become stagnant? What if we become um, tired of, of the gospel? What if we... Uh, you know, just decide to live in sin? What if we give up? What if we stop serving God? What, you know, all the what ifs, right? The elephant in the room is a lot of folks aren't going to go to heaven. That's a sad reality, isn't it? To me, that's sad. I had one preacher say to me, um, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7. One one preacher said to me, when he goes up and he preaches, this is pretty radical, so let me just tell you that. Um, but he goes up and he preaches and he, he needs to find this motivation. And so he says, to motivate myself, I think about the fires of, of hell. And I look out at the audience and I see fire everywhere. And I go, wow, man, what kind of sermon is that? You know, but he says, that's what I think about. And I'm trying to save everyone, snatch them from the fire. I said, well, okay. But that, that's his mindset. Um, I wouldn't recommend that. But how often did Jesus talk about heaven and hell? about dying lost, how often did he talk about it? A lot. An awful lot. How often is it mentioned in the Bible? A lot. An awful lot. I mean, it is riddled throughout Scripture. And what is the problem? Pride. Sin, right? Me. That's, that's the problem. Um, so so he, he, in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is going through and he's, he's, um, correcting their way of thinking and, and bringing, uh, those who are listeners of the gospel to the point of submission to God. And he's telling them, you know, the blessings and, and then he says, I know you've heard it was said and here's a new way of thinking. And as he challenges their way of thinking and their way of judging and their forgiveness and all those things, he gets into chapter seven and he, he jumps all the way down into verse, uh, what is it, 13 and he, he tells us about this difficult issue, and that is getting to heaven. Right? No one's going to fall into heaven. You have to work at it, right? And even working at it, what does the Bible say? What is it, Isaiah uh, 64? I think it says, uh, our, our, our righteous deeds are filthy rags. So it's all about God's grace. I'm not saying that we're going to work our way there, but we have to be obedient, Right? Because because God calls disobedience like insubordination uh, in First Samuel chapter 15 and in other places. And God doesn't want us to be disobedient. God wants us to be humble, right? To walk humbly with God. Justice, kindness, and walk humbly with God. Humility brings continual repentance, right? Because, oh, I, I don't want to sin against this great, our great God who loves me so very much. I don't want to, 
I don't want to hurt God's. Have you ever thought about that? That when we sin, um, it, whatever the sin may be, we're hurting God's feelings. You ever thought about that? I don't want to do that, do you? Because what has God ever done to me? And then I hurt his feelings. And, and why did I do it? Well, because I just, because I could. And I, you know, and I, I don't really want to do that. And then if, if I stay out there, I was as Jesus wept. I wonder how many times I made God cry. Tony, do you? What are you doing? You're better than this. You think God ever said that about you? Tony, you're better than this. What are you, what are you doing? Why are you? Why are you giving into that? Lord, I. I don't know. David, what are you? What are you doing, David? And David would come to that point, you know, maybe that epiphany, where he goes. Oh, I really blew it. And he goes, God, help me. And God's always there. Isn't that great? He's always there. And so there's this idea then, knowing how great God is and how much God loves us, there's this idea of, God, I just want to be there with you. I just want to serve you. What can I do to to serve you? And so he says, I want you to enter by the narrow gate. Right? Enter through that narrow gate. Because, see, the other one is so easy. You can just, you don't can do nothing and go through the other one. Right? Someone will just trample you and drag you into that other one. It's easy to get through the other one, the wide gate. But the, but the narrow gate, that's the one that I want you to strive after. That means God wants us to be targeted and focused in our living. Right? Focused. I, am, I want to be focused on heaven and focused on the Lord. And it's when I lose my focus that maybe I'll, I'll find myself like Eve and being deceived and falling off of the path, the beaten path, and being lost. You ever been lost before? Right? You're driving your car, and right? You're walking through the woods and end up somewhere you didn't think. Yeah, right? Lost. So God says, I don't want you to be lost. I want you to be focused on where you're going, your direction, right? When you're thinking about this all of the time. Do you think Satan is thinking about how to destroy us every day? I think so. So we've got to stay focused, right? And that's what this, this parable is about. This, this, this man who has these two boys, and they're a mess, right? But the father's very tolerant, and we're, you know, so yeah, we got that. And we're going to really dig into that in the passage. But, but Jesus is saying, I want you to go into, I want you to stay with the straight and narrow Okay, and then he goes into the heart in verse, um, what is it, verse 15. You know, beware the false prophets because inwardly they're what? They're ravenous wolves, right? Um, and they're not, they're not sheep. And, and so I want you to be careful because Satan every day is laying some kind of trap out there. And, and it looks, it looks good. It's, it's great advertising. Um, it's very tempting. It's very subtle, right? For the Christian, it usually isn't this big thing, right? It's not, it, it's not it's not that it's the little things that that they're subtle and i just i don't know i just it, it's subtle it's small and it leads us away it's like it's like a ship a vessel that's that's tied to the dock and it it doesn't just all of a sudden go it just slowly drifts further and further from the dock and it's quiet and it's it doesn't make any waves and it's just and that's what Satan is trying to do. He's trying to slowly, slowly pry us from our God. And if we're not focused, 
if we're not focused, it's easy. It's so easy to fall away. Okay? The boys weren't focused. Right? The boys weren't. And I want you to think about something in the prodigal. Um, turn back to Luke for just a moment. Chapter 15. I'm going to give you this one early, and we're, we're going to come back to this a few times over. Um, when you look at the text, please get from the text that in verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. Who, who received the wealth at that moment? Who received the wealth? Thank you. Both of them. Both of them. This is not about one boy. It's about both of them. Okay? So Jesus is saying, see, we've got to be careful to, not to miss it. He doesn't want us to miss. There's an issue with both of them. So when we get there, we'll go, wait a minute. There is an issue with both of the boys. Okay? Luke 18 and verse 25. Um, he talks about uh, it's hard for a rich man to, uh, to get into heaven. It's, it's, not, it's not riches. Keep that in mind. It's not, it's not money. It's not a money issue. Right? It's a heart issue, isn't it? It's the heart, you see. Heart issue, heart issue, heart issue. Matthew 7, it's the heart issue. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then the heart says, but Lord, look at all the stuff we did in your name. We've, we've cast out demons, we've done miracles, we've done all these great things. And then Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Your work was of iniquity. It was of self. Right? It's a heart. It's heart, heart. Tonight, the elephant in the room is heart. It's the heart. So being saved and being lost, and maybe you may, maybe you'll, I don't think you'll disagree with this, but it's up to you. Your destiny, literally, because you are Christians, and God has predestined it. What does that mean, predestined? That means that God has made everything ready and possible, it's done, right? It's the same as if you said to me, Tony, I want to go to Kenai, and I go, okay, I'm going to predestine you to Kenai. And you go, how are you going to do that? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to go, right now, see this car, I'm going to put fuel in it, and, and I'm going to put this on the road, and I'm going to, I'm going to put the keys in it, I'm going to turn the car on, and I want you to, to listen to me, and I, I, I usually think about this going from Soldat and a Homer because it's easier than no turnoffs, right? But I say to you, stay on this road and, and, and don't turn off. I'm going to predestine you. Maybe sewage probably better from Anchorage, but I'm going to predestine you. There's just enough gas. Drive the car straight. Never turn. When you run out of fuel, you'll be in sewer. You're predestined to sewer, right? In other words, God's made everything ready everything's possible, everything's prepared, you're in it. I mean, you're there. All you have to do is keep going, right? It's done. See, so God has predestined us, predestined all Christians, even the world, right? Even the world to salvation because all you have to do is accept it, right? It's a free gift, but you have to do your part. You have to actually take the gift. You can't refuse the gift and then uh, walk with the Lord. That's another study on predestined uh, predestination, but it's a great, it's a great applicable, um, uh, part to this particular account that God doesn't want anyone to perish. So He's made everything ready. Everything. Every day 
is ready for you. Before you even get there, God already has it fixed. In the sense of, he's removing obstacles from you. Right? I'm sure you're praying, Lord, help me today. Deliver me from temptation. Protect me from evil today, God. And God's already, okay, I got you covered. Don't worry about it. Then Jesus says, tomorrow's going to have enough trouble of his own. Stay focused. I got you. I'm going to bring you through it all. Right? And then if we lose that focus, then we find ourselves in this uh, immediate immediate trouble. And we start arguing with God, like baptism. How many discussions have you had with someone about... Uh, how hard is it to understand baptism is essential to salvation? Well, it depends on who you're talking to. Right? If you're talking to someone that doesn't know the Bible, pretty easy. If you're talking to someone who's been brainwashed, pretty difficult. Right? How many times can you read? Well, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Well, he didn't say he that believeth not and is not baptized. We didn't have to say that, does he? Right? Well, I mean, you know, when you go through the study, you're trying so hard to understand why is this so difficult? Why is the topic of baptism one of the most difficult topics of your study with denominations um, or with, you know, individuals that are not in Christ? Why is it one of the most difficult topics you'll ever encounter with people? Because it involves salvation. And Satan doesn't want anyone to be saved. See, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he has blinded the eyes of the unsuspecting. He's blinding people so they cannot see. And the only way to help a blind man is to find a way to help him to see. Right? And so we have to go into a different uh, direction. But it's, it's challenging. It's, it's difficult. But baptism, one of, the, one of the clearest topics in the whole Bible, it's in the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament, several times, over and over again. And yet it's the most difficult topic at times when you're studying with people. Satan's involved. Satan wants people lost. There are people who are, what if, what if no one, what if someone says, well, what about this subject? What about, what about, what about this? What about? It's the simplest subject in the Bible because God made it simple. Because God doesn't want anyone to perish. Third grade education. You just sit there and you read it, but the problem is Satan is there. Right? And then Jesus tells us, where is this at? Uh, Mark 9, 47. Let's go look at this. Jesus talks about the other topic. And he says, look, the elephant in the room is that there are a lot of folks who aren't going to make it to heaven because they're just not, you know, paying attention or whatever it may be. Whatever my, whatever it is that's in my heart that is keeping me from heaven, that's a question you might ask yourself every day. Lord, what prideful thing is in my heart today that's keeping me from being in a relationship with you? Me. Not, I'm not worried about anyone else. Just me. Today. What's in my heart today? What prideful thing, Lord God, what sin, what, what's in my heart today that's keeping me from being with you? And that's an individual question. And then you have to think about it and ponder it and not justify it and not try to blame someone else and not compare yourself to anyone else. You just got to look deep into your own heart and allow it to be honest. And then it's going to sting a little bit, right? And then repent, right? So Jesus in Mark, Mark 9 in verse 47, he says, I've got something that you, you can't, don't miss this. He says in, in verse 47, and if your eye causes you to stumble, cast it out, 
It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell. That makes no sense, right? I mean, if you take it, you know, literally, you go, wait a minute. Why would I pluck my eye out just to make it into heaven? And what Jesus is saying is, one of the most precious gifts that you have is the gift of sight. And God says, it's better you give the most precious gift that's been given to you, separate from salvation. It's better you pluck it out, you give it away, than it is for you to miss heaven. It's worth it. That's how beautiful heaven is. That's how great and how grand heaven is. And then we start thinking about self. You see, well, wait a minute. Heaven won't be nearly as enjoyable if I only have one eye, Lord. (laughs) It's not literal, is it? It's get rid of the thing that's keeping you out of heaven. Whatever that object is, that that thing, whatever that prideful thing is that's keeping you out of heaven, get rid of that thing. Jesus says, you don't want to miss heaven. Just don't miss heaven. Don't miss heaven. And he pleads and he begs. And you know when God pleads and begs, it still isn't enough. Think about it. How many people don't want to go to heaven? He had the feast. Everyone come. You're invited. And they said, no thanks. They made excuses. Look at Matthew 23. Matthew 23 and verse 15. Now it gets really scary. Because this is leading us to our text. This is what's scary. Scary thing is, in verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one a proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. How many Jews looked at the scribes and Pharisees and thought to themselves, those are the most unrighteous people on earth? Versus, How many Jewish and non-religious people looked at the scribes and Pharisees and said, those guys are fanatical religious people. They're definitely going to heaven. I mean, they themselves thought they had heaven in the bag, right? It was owed to them because of their dedication, their sacrifice, their commitment. And Jesus comes along and says, oh, and by the way, you scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to make it in. And all of your disciples, they're not making it in either. What? scary. The people you thought would be in heaven, maybe won't be there. And that could be me. Don't think all preachers are going to get to heaven. Right? Humility. 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 Those boys were not humble boys. Those boys were not humble boys at all. They had no ounce of humility in them whatsoever. Dad, it's better that you're dead. Give us our stuff now. We want nothing else to do with you. That's basically what they said. Give us our stuff now. What? How could you speak to your father in that way? Who's been taking care of you and obviously the loving father. Anyway, we'll, we'll, come, we'll come to that. Revelation 21, verse 8. There's a, there's a word that we don't often think about um, in regards to people who will not make it into heaven. There's a word in Revelation 21, verse 8. We get the sorcerers and the liars. You know, we know they're you know, just not going to make it in. But there's a word. What word do you think I'm, I'm thinking of? Revelation 21 and verse 8. Read it and tell me which one you think. You say, well, I wouldn't think that shouldn't be in the same category as a liar or, or, or a, you know, some of these you know, witchcraft, idolatry. What word do you think it is? The cowardly. 
So well, wait, so wait a minute, Lord. So, so Domitian comes along, and he's he's brutal. And when he when when you're a martyr, it's 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 not it's terrible. Right? I mean, when he, you know, in this time, there there the there's the lion's den. Then there are the dogs in the in the Greek arena, right? And then there are the Christians that are. Um, are strung up on a pole and tar and pitch are poured on them and they're lit on fire while alive and they illuminate the stadium. And then all the people are there, the Romans are all there and, um, you know, they're cheering and they're having their Greek games, if you will, the Olympics or whatever you want to call it. And they're playing sport with Christians and they're lying, there are tigers in there and you know, horrible stuff. And then God says, don't be a coward. Don't be a coward. And in Revelation 2, down about verse 7 through about verse 10, uh, Jesus, you know, by way of inspiration, is talking, and he says, some of you will be cast into prison for 10 days. And some of you are going to die. Be faithful until death. And then in Revelation 21, verse 8, he says, do not be a coward. If, if your focus isn't there, <laughs> this is a tough one, right? If you're trying to hold on to something, which, you know, we all are dear to our lives, just in that moment, just wow, right? What do you say to that? Don't be a coward. In our Christian faith, you, you know, have you ever been a coward? I have. I've been a coward. I'm not afraid to admit it. You ever been a coward in your Christian faith? You ever, you, ever made, you ever justified your faith? You ever, you know, had reasons why this and that? This is the elephant in the room. This is, this is why Jesus told the account of the two boys, because he's talking to people who grumbled. He's talking to people who thought they had it in the bag, and he's saying, oh, you folks have not truly looked deep in your own hearts. Right? Okay. Um, Luke 19 and, and verse, and verse 10. Um, Jesus has come to seek and save that which is lost. And that, and that's true. That's what he came for. Um, I've heard this often in, in religion today. I'm okay. You're okay. That's not true, is it? Number one, I might not be okay. <laughs> but, but number two, um, people that are in the world are not okay. So, so there's this, this urgency that comes in. So Jesus is saying, I need you to recognize something, that every Sunday we, um, we have a public proclamation, and that public proclamation is the Lord's, the Lord's table. And it's, it's, you know, when you go back to Exodus and you realize the original Passover, that remember it was eaten uh, without leaven, and the reason for that is because it was eaten in haste. You're leaving now, right? There's not enough time for the bread to rise, etc. It's still eaten as unleavened bread because it's eaten in haste because Jesus is coming back. And we don't know when he's coming back. And someone looks back and says, yeah, but it's been, you know, 2,000, almost 2,000 years. Well, yeah, 2,000 years. So, you know, um, y- you know, we're just about there. That's, that's not haste. But to God it is, isn't it? And then how many people have died in 2,000 years, right? So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty quick. It's pretty, it's, it's imminent. Um, but how many people have died lost over 2,000 years? 
Right? Think about that. And it's not because God didn't want to save them. It's because, it's because of whatever, whatever has happened. It's a real important, important, important topic. And it's sad. And it's, it's difficult. And seeing it through God's eyes is that God is going to save everybody that wants to be saved. Um, do I want to be saved? Jesus asked some of the most, if you look at the scripture, you know, so the Socratic method is a method that of control. It's the one who asks the questions is in control. So Jesus would ask questions like, you go to a crippled man or a lame man and say, what would you wish? You and I would say, he's crippled, well, he probably wants, probably wants to walk. Goes to a blind man and says, what would you like me to do for you? Open my eyes that I might see. So as you think about that, and I've had, you know, plenty of time to think about that, and I look at all those people and I ask myself, what would I, what would I say to Jesus if he came today and said, Tony, what would you like for me to do for you? And as I've thought about it and thought about it, and see, I'm not, I'm not there, so I didn't have time to think about it, but I've had time to think about it. I'm like, just take my whole, take my entire family to heaven right now. Just right now, we're good. Just take, just, you know, I need to go change my clothes. I'm good right now, right? Maybe that was the answer Jesus was looking for. I don't know. But how many people want really, truly, and honestly to go to heaven? Think about that. So you go to someone and you say, I want to talk to you about Jesus, and I want to talk to you about heaven. And they'll say, well, you know, right now, what? What will be their excuse? I don't have time now. I don't want to talk about that. You're going to be, you're judgmental. You're, I mean, there'll be a lot of excuses. How many people actually really want to go to heaven? Okay. Luke 15, verse 1 and verse 2. Luke 15, verse 1 and verse 2. We ha- and Again, in order to really dig deep into the prodigal, you got to get what Jesus was trying to get us to get, Right? What does Jesus want us to understand? He never intended for us to study about the one son, right? That we call the prodigal son. That was a that's a man made inclusion. Um, that young boy, um, that young boy, is in a pig pen, right? He's in a pig pen, and and that's when he wakes up. He wakes up when. You know, he has no more money. All his friends have left him, right? He realizes they were my Facebook friends only, right? He didn't really have friends. Um, he has no friends. He's in a pig pen. He's struggling. He's starving. He's at the bottom. That's his bottom. Here's a good question. What is my bottom? What's going to turn me around? You know, what is it that, you know, is it when I'm, you know, suffering from a heart attack and I'm, I'm laying on that, that gurney or that hospital bed and I'm, Maybe my life, I think it's my last dying breath. And then I say, God, I'm so, and I, I really have true repentance in my heart. Is that my bottom? What is your bottom? You know, do you have to get to that point for it to be your bottom, right? To turn your life around. The prodigal was at his very bottom. The Pharisees, the audience, they don't even, they have a bottomless pit, it seems like. Because in verse 1 and verse 2, um, now all the tax gatherers and sinners were coming near him to listen to him, 
And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They don't even have the dignity to call him Lord, even though they know he's Lord, right? John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, We know, the Pharisees and the scribes, we know you came from God. We know who you are. We don't like it, but we know who you are, right? They have an understanding of God. So the boy's bottom is this, is the pig pen. He's in the pig pen. Um, and he wakes up. But there are two pig pens in the text. One's evident, right? It's obvious. Here's the boy. He's in the pig pen. It's like, come on, get out of the pig pen. The other one is deep in the recesses of the older brother's heart. His pig pen is mine. So he's been in the pig pen for a long time. And the problem is he's not waking up. He doesn't even realize he's in the pig pen. And when we start studying about the older brother, you're going to say, wow, that's a pretty bad pig pen. He's in a really bad pig pen. He's in a bad situation. And here's the scary part. He's not humble enough for whether it be that God opens his eyes or however you want to say that. His eyes are just not open yet. And that's that scary stuff that's in this thing up here this thinker, the stuff nobody else knows about that I'm struggling with, that scary stuff up here that I've been doing a really good job of hiding. You know, I can put clothes on and make myself look like a Christian, make myself look like I love God. I can show up at this building and punch the clock and really look good as a Christian, but there may be some stuff going on up here that's my pig pen, and I'm not willing yet to repent. And get out of that mire, that muddy, yucky pit. The evidence sin, well, we can see it. It's pretty clear. The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling at God. They were saying, you know, we, we know he's God. We get this. But what's he doing even with sinners? Who were the sinners that Jesus was trying to reach? The Pharisees. They didn't see themselves as sinners. They were like, no, all of y'all, you guys are sinners. We, we are not. Right? And there's a difference between being a sinner and one who practices sin. But their sin was in the heart. They did all the things, you know, they had all the, the mechanics of everything right. You know, here's a, you know, mechanical thing. You're gonna make fire here. You're gonna have the showbread. They had the mechanics under control. But this was out of control. It was gone. Spiritually speaking, right? Okay. I want to close in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 while we have time. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to look at verse, um, for time's sake, we may have to skip all the way over to verse 13, I think. For time's sake. Okay. Um, no, let's do verse 12. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. 
But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, another, I'm of Paulus, um, are you not mere men? See the struggle? A spiritual man will appraise the Word of God. He will step aside and see this true spiritual nature of the Word of God. And when you, you hold the book, it used to be, you know, a long time ago, you can't, you can't hit the Bible, those kind of things, but you would, this book, the words of God, will be taken so seriously and ingest it so deeply into your soul, into your heart, that when you read it, it penetrates your heart. But a man that's carnal-minded reads it, but it never sinks in. Or it only goes in a little bit. The depth of the reception of the Word of God is really up to you. Because God says, I'll give it to you, but you got to want it, right? You have to want it. So um, we're going to think about grumblers next um, week, and then we should be able to be finished with the main point. I wanted to get the introduction done, and I wanted to get the main point done. And now, after that, we're going to go in, and then we'll start digging. And we'll dig with all three. We'll deal with them individually, the son, the son, and then the father. And then uh, that should take up, uh, I think we have 13 weeks in our, our quarter. But thank you for your time tonight. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you for your attention.